We've got some restaurant news this week, including an update on a highly anticipated project. That's next on the Access Louisville podcast. Thanks for joining us. My name is David Mann, and joining me today is Haley Coffin. Hi there. And Michael L. Jones. What it is. There you <laughs> go. I like it. Calling Jason, the ghost yeah, of Jason. Yeah, brought no. back an old memory for, you know, the OG <laughs> podcast listeners. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Access Louisville is a weekly podcast from Louisville Business First. Each week we bring you the latest news and plenty of sharp opinions on what's happening here in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, we're going to start this week with restaurants. Michael, you had, I'm going to start on kind of a weird one, and that's Pig Beach. Uh, this is the, uh, this is a restaurant that is planned to go in the former uh, waterfront tumbleweed slash short-lived Doc's Cantina building. Uh, and you reached out to them this week. So what's going on there? Yeah, originally they said it would open in April. And so I called Waterfront Park and they they said it's happening, but um, it's going supply chain issues. Mm-hmm. And so I contacted um, Pig Beach directly and, of course, got sent to a PR company <laughs> and uh, they uh, told me that there's not a timeline, but it's still happening. But uh, it's a story I've heard from a lot of restaurants. Um, that they're, you know, not only uh, supplies, but even just getting inspected. Uh, It just seems like everybody is kind of overwhelmed right now and having staffing shortages. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not just restaurants too. I've heard it from other business sectors. I'm in charge of uh, SPJ, Society of Professional Journalists, and I just went to order our trophies for our annual contest and local vendor I order them from here is like, yeah, that deadline sounds fine. As long as we don't have any supply chains <laughs> issues. And I was just like, what can you do? Like, that's, you know, that's pretty much something that's affecting every industry. So um, let's see. Well, this, you know, there, you didn't have a lot of news on what was going on there, but this was kind of, this story was kind of a perfect fit for your new column. So uh, tell us about the column. Where'd the idea come from? Okay, well, I'm do, I'm writing a column called Small Plates that's restaurant news because people always send me um, things that aren't actually, they might not uh, fit for a story, mm-hmm. and, but they're interesting. I think our readers would be interested in them it's something like this pig beach which you know uh i can't i don't want to do a whole story on the yeah. fact I don't want to do a story that nothing's happening yet but <laughs> and, and so there's other things I, I come across um like one of the things in the column is that uh there's a new um puerto rican food truck coming and we don't usually cover food, new food trucks, but I just thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. I called the owners and said, what is Puerto Rican cuisine? So you, you never <laughs> yeah. really think about, hey, I'm going to get, it's usually Mexican or Cuban mm-hmm. or whatever. And and um, so, uh, you know, they're, uh, it, it's very similar, but it's more influenced uh 
by the Indian culture, the Native Native American culture in Puerto Rico, which I found interesting. But I'm a history buff, so <laughs> mm-hmm. I like the uh, the sandwich that they talked about. It, I think it's called a tripletta, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly. But they put, but you can make it up to a uh, set of three five meats on tripletta, yeah. five meats on the tripletta. <laughs> And yeah. uh, we we talked about I talked about a new peach cobbler uh, store opening in the Highlands, the second one, and then a new uh, pastry shop that's in the Fall City Market. And so mm-hmm. uh, hopefully people like it. Um, I had fun putting it together. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, and I think like the three editors here, we all just kind of read it and uh, th- think think it's a great idea. You're right. There's a lot of stories that we were just stuff like pig beach or, or like the food truck and it's kind of like we wouldn't necessarily want to do a whole story but you know it kind of fits perfect for this sort of thing so and we're a foodie town so it's perfect <laughs> yeah yeah um let's see here so outside the column you also had some news about a pizza chain that's rebranding what's happening there uh well um one of the owners of hometown pizza had uh, opened a, a brewery called um, Hometown Brewing Company. And so he decided to split off from the Hometown Pizza brand, and he's opening four Craft House Pizza mm-hmm. uh, locations. And um, so he wants to make it a little more upscale, a, a artisan pizzas that would be uh, paired with um, some of the beers from his brewery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that sounds interesting. And that hometown brand's been around a while. I think you said, what, 1982, and yeah, started yeah. here, starting to here in the area. So yeah, when I uh, uh, saw the craft house, you know, they all have that uh, white and green kind of umbrella thing mm-hmm. over the, the doors or whatever. So it's still kind of he's still uh, waiting for his signs to come in. So. It pretty much looks like hometown, but he took down the signs and has just this little temporary sign yeah. on all those buildings right now. Yeah. Well, I think that'll be a good fit for the Louisville market in particularly. Uh, in particular, it uh, seems like craft beer and pizza are definitely uh, a thing around here. So. I think uh, everyone's tired of like reading about pizza and tacos maybe because there's like all sorts of those popping up, but like I don't think you can have too many until there is one on every street corner like every dollar general in every small town anywhere like that's what i want for pizza concepts <laughs> everybody talks about bourbon all the time but we're getting some really good breweries in town yeah yeah um and uh that's like I, i've seen people on facebook and whatever complain about the number of pizza joints we have in louisville like i don't see the complaint like there's such a neighborhood thing like i don't necessarily go to the pizza joints in the highlands I'll go to the pizza joints that are near me, Um, you know, and I think everybody's kind of that way. So, you know, like, I don't guess I travel all across the metro for pizza. Michael, you probably do because of your job. (laughs) But, but, you know, I think a lot of people, it's just a neighborhood thing. A lot of it is really different. You know, people have their their different recipes. So, Mm -hmm. you know, square cut pizza is different than the Union 15 by my house. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
All uh, right, let's see here. Uh, so then you also had this story about uh, Porkland Barbecue. Now, this was interesting because this was the story uh, that we had a few weeks ago about a it was a Portland uh, barbecue place, cleverly named Porkland, uh, that had uh, closed because of a zoning issue with the city. When you explained it in that story, it wasn't quite as simple as everybody thought. It wasn't like the city walks in and shuts down the business. It was more of a decision by the owner. But that decision, I'll let you talk about it. Just just some of the yeah. Um, the restaurant had been open for four years, and he had gotten all the proper permits from the city, got regular inspections, uh, but uh, they never checked the zoning. And he assumed it was fine because he moved into a former church and he was doing exactly what the church before him had been doing because uh, it started out as a fundraiser for his nonprofit Love City. And uh, this guy, Sean Ar Arvin is his name. Uh, so he wanted to, one of his board members was uh, one of the owners of Against the Grain. So they were going to do a partnership and he applied for a liquor license and ABC asked him for a confirmate zoning confirmation letter. And when he got it, he, he found out that he, he wasn't zoned to do what he'd been doing. Mm -hmm. And the city did offer to let him stay open while he went through the rezoning process, but it could take up to a year and he was going to have to, uh, you know, pay a hundred fifty dollar pre-application fee, and then um, depending on the size, you know, of his uh, establishment, he could pay up to three thousand dollars, and he might have to have a lawyer and the architect help him. And um, he just decided he didn't want to deal with all that. So. Right. He's back to having it as a fundraiser and doing catering, which it, it is zoned for uh, for that. You know, yeah. that's one of the things he could do. Well, to be honest, like when you think about what restaurant owners have been up against over the past few years, and now they're in this middle in the middle of like you know shortages, shortages, inflation, um, supply chain issues, all sorts of issues if you throw like one more obstacle in front of them they're going to be like nope i'm done like this is all i can do um i've you know put in the effort and now i'm like just too tired to keep going because it you know just adds one more thing that they like have to have to tackle and i think a lot of folks are just tired so i think that not speaking on behalf of them because um i didn't talk um to the owners like you did but I just know. Well, that's the situation exactly. Now. They're opening a new child care center. You know, he's running this million dollar organization. Um, so he's got a lot on his plate. But, you know, the area is a food desert that was a gathering place for people. So it's a big loss for uh, the community. And, you know, in the story I talked to, um, a realtor who said there needs to be like some kind of uh, shorter process for emergency situations like this to help small business owners. Mm -hmm. If you're like a big chain, you can deal with, <laughs> you know, everything. Right. But but a small um, independent restaurant, you know, it's going to be a hassle for them. Mm -hmm. 
And I think you said um, that if they would have gotten any complaints, then that might have shut him down anyway. So uh, yeah, like once he, um, yeah, he could have kept operating, and that's the reason he never got any complaints for four years, which is how the the zoning works. Like it's complaint based, and they would have checked the zoning if uh, there were complaints for neighbors. But he was afraid now that everyone knew that he was not properly zoned, somebody might just complain about Mm -hmm. something and uh, he would end up having to shut down for a while anyway. So he said he didn't want to live in the gray zone for like a year. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Well, uh, we will switch, uh, switch topics here, talk a little bit about affordable housing, which this is a uh, cover story this week, uh, which both of you guys had a hand in. Uh, Michael, you uh, you know you wrote the story about Louisville's lack of affordable housing. So, what's something you learned uh, doing that story, or maybe uh, realized as you were writing it? Well, you know, usually when uh, we talk about affordable housing, we just think of the lowest income people. Mm-hmm. But everyone I talked to was saying, you know, we're talking about working families, we're talking about teachers and social workers, mm-hmm. and um, things like that, that aren't, especially with housing prices going up the way they are and rents going up, that they are cost burden, which is, I, I noticed um, Haley and I didn't talk beforehand, but she actually mentioned cost burden in one of the quotes in her. And, and cost burden is when you're paying more than 30% of your mm-hmm. um, income goes to housing. Because like once you're doing that, there's going to be other things that you have to skimp on. And if you're like up to paying up to half of your income, that uh, fuel is what's fueling uh, the homeless problem. Yeah. And I thought, Michael, your story made the excellent point or the sources that you talked to in that story made the excellent point that like a lot of people misconstrue affordable housing with like free housing. But really, these folks are just paying literally what they can afford with the income that they're making like Mm. that's what their prices are based off of and i think that's like one of the big common misconceptions when people think about what affordable housing is and who it's for Mm -hmm. and and Uh, viewing it as an economic development issue uh, we need workers (laughs) closer to where they're working and uh things like that I i just found it was interesting we could have probably written uh of uh, 10 cover stories on this issue because there are so many things that came up absolutely <laughs> oh i was gonna say i think you you and i both had all these kind of really layered conversations as a part of these stories and had a hard time uh i guess defining all of that down or distilling that down into into what is most important because we could have written you know a little short novel <laughs> for business first but of course they don't want to you know print all of that for our you know, we only have so many pages <laughs> thousands of subscribers yeah we I, we couldn't afford the the ink for that but <laughs> um we had we had a lot we could have said <laughs> yeah i was going to say that that housing issue permeates so many different issues in town like homelessness and like michael mentioned workforce you know solving the staffing shortages uh, you know has to do with having people who are available and one one part that you talked about, Michael, was a developer who was trying to build housing near St. Mary and Elizabeth Hospital, uh, which 
you know, if that hospital, I, I have no knowledge of it, but if it's like a lot of other hospitals or any businesses is looking for staffing because every business is right now, you know, having an apartment complex with attainable housing nearby, I'm, I would think would help that staffing situation they're having there. And that's what the developer talked about. Yeah, and that was uh, the Aryan group. And the irony was he was talking about my neighborhood. I live right down the street. Right. St. Mary's and Elizabeth. Well, I, I remember when I first moved to Louisville, I think my first apartment cost like $375. That like dates me. It's like how far back that was that uh, housing costs that little. But like I could work part time at UPS and, and afford a, an apartment, um, you know, and I don't think that is a reality anymore. And that's like key to a lot of the economic problems that we have now is people can't you know work a job like like ups or like uh, a lot of other jobs that that louisville has open and be able to afford a place that you know that isn't necessarily like you know it isn't necessarily affordable housing in the you know traditional like barrack style housing that 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 they talked about in the 70s but you know housing that's just attainable for someone who's just a part of the workforce so yeah, so it was really interesting. And then Haley, same question for you, I guess, on the the issue of homelessness. What's something that kind of stood out to you that you uh, you learned about as you were reporting that you you kind of looked at it from the homelessness issue rather than the attainable housing? But sure, um, I was really surprised to find out that up until I think it was 2018, homelessness had actually been decreasing in Louisville since the peak. Um, after the housing market crash in 2008, um, I think there was a peak in 2009 in homelessness. But every year after that, it had been decreasing, you know, slowly but steadily. And then, you know, 2008, the economy or 2000, 2018, the economies started to shift and things started to accelerate. Um, and even more so now, like we're at an all time peak of homelessness in Louisville, it's continuing to increase. And it's just because, um, you know, this issue of affordable housing, people can't afford where they live, they can't afford gas, they can't afford um, emergency expenses. And a lot of people are experiencing homelessness for the first time. Um, I talked to Ray Martin at St. John Center, and she said, 60% of the folks that come in and search of resources are are people who are experiencing it for the first time or just missed one paycheck or had one medical bill. Um, and that's, you know, the reality of how close so many folks in Louisville are to, you know, having this firsthand experience at what it's like to, you know, not being able to have a place to live and afford shelter. So I think that's what stood out to me is that there was actually a, a long period of de- um a long period when homelessness was decreasing and then it has really started to spike in the last four or five years or so. Um, so um, I think it's kind of a signaling <laughs> effect. We need to be paying attention to this. Mm-hmm. And you had, and like, when you think about downtown, like that's the big issue that everyone kind of jumps on is the number of homeless downtown. Um, and when you ask people, well, what do we, what do we, what do you want to see downtown? They say, well, I want to see fewer homeless people, you know, then like this is, you know, um, it, definitely something that has impacted the economy. So, so the reason folks aren't staying, um, in shelters was 
really interesting. U of L did a study where they surveyed like 110 people that were out sleeping on the street about why they weren't using shelter facilities. This was in 2021. And some of them, you know, had pets. Some of them had partners. Um, and at shelters, you can't stay with your partners. Um, some of them didn't want to be in congregate settings because of the pandemic. Um, and then some of them just don't feel safe. Like, I think that was um, that was probably one of the main issues that came up when I was talking to um, the organizers at the Hope Village, which is a new outdoor um, shelter. They were saying a lot of people have felt unsafe in these environments for years, even before the pandemic. Nothing to do with the with the um, with the coronavirus pandemic, but because of you know a lack of staff, a lack of security, a lack of privacy, um, there are several issues there. And what that creates is when people aren't, when homeless folks aren't um, going to shelters for. Um, to stay there, they're not getting access to the resources that these shelters provide. Um, for example, like St. John Center is just a day shelter, um, so people can only be there from 8 a.m. to I think it's 4 p.m. in the afternoon. Um, but all of these shelters have access to affordable housing resources, to mental health resources, to kind of they act as this hub where you can get access to things that you need to get in a in a better more stable position. Um, so when folks aren't going to shelters, they're missing out on that. And so that's been the big issue here is that people aren't accessing these resources anymore. So how do we bring them back into a system to where they can get the support that they need to be in stable housing? I thought it was interesting, your story, when you said that a lot of people can't afford a $400 emergency that right. you know just four hundred dollars doesn't seem like a lot of money but for that to be the difference between homeless someone having a home and not having a home right mm -hmm. and um that statistic was i think it was more than half of people who make less than fifty thousand dollars annually cannot afford a four hundred dollar expense um so that means they fall behind on rent payments they fall behind on mortgage payments they fall behind on their other bills. Um, and that's how it, you know, that's how, how the spiral starts. It's not, you know, people making continuously bad decisions, because <laughs> I think that's what a lot of people assume about people who end up in those situations. A lot of the times they just don't have savings. Like lots of people in the U.S. don't have access to any kind of savings. They're just living paycheck to paycheck. And I think like people aren't thinking about that. <laughs> Michael, uh, do you feel like this? I, I feel like it's gotten to a point where surely Metro Council, state government are going to take action and like start addressing this issue. I just want to get your opinion on that. Well, um, the, the Metro Council has been giving money to the Louisville um, Affordable Housing Trust Fund in the last few years. Like it was created in 2008 and they didn't put any city money into it until 2017 <laughs> and so they put about 40 million dollars in it and then they just got some art money um and bill hollander said he thinks that um the council will keep uh contributing he's hoping 10 million dollars a year to the trust fund but um one of the uh developers i talked to said every metro council member will tell you they support affordable housing 
But when you go to their district and they get a complaint from a voter, then all of a sudden it's not so attractive to them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not in my backyard crowd. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I got a link to this because like, I, I just won't shut up about it. But I saw this like New York Times opinion video where they were talking about how that is like driving the affordable housing crisis all over the country <laughs> like all these different like um you know just in cities all over that's that's the issue um but uh anyway i will wrap it up there i think uh, i think we're right around a half hour here um and uh, before we go we will uh, we'll share where people can find us online and uh and talk to us more about these issues or give michael tips on this new restaurant column michael i'll start with you on this one where can people find you online okay uh twitter at bf lou michael and on facebook and uh linkedin under my own name all right haley how about you and you can find me on twitter at bf lou haley or on linkedin under my name haley coffin you can find me on LinkedIn under my real name, David A. Mann, or on Twitter under my fake name, dman3001. Uh, you can find this podcast on popular podcast services, including Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, and Radio Public. Thank you very much, Haley and Michael. Thank you guys for listening to us at home, and we'll see you next time. Bye.